Hi, everybody. Welcome to Shaky's Sports Journeys. Um, I think we've done 50 plus podcasts now, and I thought it was time to kind of freshen things up a little bit. It's great talking to all different sports people, cricketers, rugby players, footballers, all walks of life. But I thought it'd be good to go into something a bit different. Just so you know, you can find us on YouTube, Spotify, and iTunes by simply searching Shaky Sports Journeys. But today is the launch of a, a new section to the podcast called Life on the Ground. And what a guest I've got for you today. I never, ever thought in my lifetime. Um, I grew up watching this lady on uh, on, on TV, Sunday Omnibus with my mum. We used to watch three, four episodes in a row. Bit of a teenage crush as well on this one when, when, I, was, uh, when I was younger. But a welcome to the show, famously known for being on EastEnders, Daniela Westbrook. How are you? Hi, Kasim. Hi, everyone at home. Thank you for having me. What a build-up. Gosh. Listen, I had to be, I had to be, I mean, it's just the power of technology, power of people getting in touch with on social media. And before you yeah. know it, I've had messages galore coming in saying, wow, that's something different. So here's a, here's to, here's to a good chat with you today. I've been following you on social media for a while, really inspired by a lot of the things you're doing. So good, good on you, but let, let's get into it. Let's go right back to the start. So what I want okay. to talk to you, let's, what I want to talk to you first of all, is tell me a little bit about Daniela Westbrook's childhood, your family background, etc. Okay. Um, well, me, I'm just an oh, hang on a minute. Let me just move that one second. Let's start that. Let me pick that up here because I'm gonna plug this in because otherwise I might just run out. Wait there. Ready? Okay. Let's go back to the start for Daniela. Yeah. Um, just a normal girl, went to a normal primary school. My parents were normal. My mum worked um up in the Valbonne in London. Um, worked really hard. My dad had worked for a tire company and and stuff. And and you know, my mom and dad worked seven days a week. But back in the seventies, I think everybody's parents worked seven days a week. And and as was per norm, um, which is still the case now for most people. Your grandparents kind of pick up the reins and do your tea and do all that sort of stuff. So I was just a normal kid. Um, like now, my mum, my daughter's at my mum, so she, she does everything with my mum because I'm always around, running around. So. Yeah, so it's just a normal childhood. I went to a normal state school up the road in Woodford Green, um, and everything was kind of normal. And then a girl down my street, she she did a video for Boy George. She wished to go to Sylvia Young Theatre School on a Saturday. She's a gorgeous little thing. Um, she did a pop video, and uh, I was like, wow, because you used to sit down on a Thursday night and watch Top of the Pops. That was the thing we used to watch. Yeah, like you yeah, said, yeah, used to watch Sylvia Young there you go, Top of the Pops. And then I used to watch on Sunday, she popped up on there. And then on a Sunday, we always used to watch um, the Royal Variety performances and stuff. And I used to be like in awe of everything. And every time we went to the theatre or pantomime and stuff as a kid, I used to be like wishing it was me up there. And I drove my parents crazy to send me to this Sylvia Young Theatre School. And my dad didn't have a clue what that was. So he's like, no, you're fine riding horses and doing your thing. Um, and my mum's because she worked in London and she worked at quite a glamorous place. It was like um, by the Playboy Casino and stuff. Um, she she was used to more of like the London lifestyle. She'd worked in the King's Road for a long time at Peter Jones, and you know it was when Twiggy and all that was around in the late seventies. And um, you know she was proud of her daughter. She was proud of a, a, a little blonde daughter, and and she put me up for some modelling. And literally the first job I ever went for was for Asda, um, and I got it with a lady called Jeannie Savage, photographer, who later went on and found Nell McAndrew, Belinda Messenger, Katie Price. She went on and founded all those and was a big, worked a lot for the Daily Star doing page threes and stuff. 
So I originally worked for her, for Asdov. And then from there, I got a contract for a company called Tammy Girl, which was a shop in like, like and CNA I did. And I never forget walking in Asdov's with my mum and there was great big posters hanging above the kids section. And I was like, oh my God, my mum was like, oh, she was so proud. She asked the man that at the end of the season, could she take it, could she come and collect it and have it because it was her daughter. And she was so very proud of me. And I was only nine. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. You're all right. Take a sip oh. or something. That's my honey lemon. So um, I haven't got the, the virus. I'm okay. But um, thank God. So, yeah, that was me at nine. And then um, obviously I started to go to the Saturday school and I really enjoyed it. And my, my parents were not from a theatrical background at all. They were just normal working class people from, from East 17, from all from stuff, funny enough. Um, and... You know, they, they sort of just went by the rules of, of the game. And I used, I went into this theatre in the West End and, and did role writers and did all sorts of stuff and worked at the Palladium. And I did Joseph um, for Angela Weber and stuff. And before you knew it, I was up and running. I was always working. It seemed that every job I went for, I got, I got, I got. And I used to tell terrible lies as well. They, I used to say, like, oh, are you frightened of, of snakes? I'd be like, no, I'm fine with it. Never seen a snake in my life. Oh, can you? I remember doing one for a Colgate commercial. Can you ice skate? Yeah, I'm a brilliant ice skater. I've been ice skating about twice, holding on to the side. And I got the commercial. And on the first day of shooting, they were like, okay, just skate out and um, just do some backward crossovers, do a spin like that. And then when you finish spinning, I want you to stop and smile like this. And the star used to go on the tooth like that, ting. And I just got out on the ice and I thought, I can't fucking skate. I can't skate. <laughs> and they sort of looked at the director and my mum. They phoned my mum. The chaperone was furious for me because we used to have to have chaperones because of the equity law. Yeah. So they phoned my mum and said, um, I thought Daniela said she could skate. My mum said, I don't know anything about ice skating. She never really ice skated. She can ride horses. They were like, no, we're at Lee Valley Ice Rink. We've shut down no, Crystal Palace. Shut the whole rink down for two days. Your child can't skate. So they called in a professional child skater. She did everything. And then they stood me on the ice, went out like this. And then they pushed me up, dollied me out. And at the end of it, I just turned around like that and it went ting. So this poor other child skated the whole thing and it was me. Oh, brilliant. So that's brilliant. That's sort of got, how I got. At least you got, listen, you need to, you need to. I got paid. It's the show business. You got to, uh, you got yeah. to do, do it to get in there. Oh, Moving, God, yeah. Moving, moving into a bit more into that. So you obviously progressed into acting. It kind of started with the modern yeah. kind of side of things. But I mean, I've seen it as well documented. The industry, oh, the, when you were at, the industry when you were at a young age was 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 not was not the best to you. When how and when did that start? Um. Oh well, it started. It started very young for me. Obviously, like I said, my parents weren't didn't have a chaperone license. So I used to be chaperoned on quite a lot of work. Um, and I did a lot of shows, a lot of performances, and lots of things. And by this time, I was at the full-time school, so I was 12. And between 9 and 12 going up, different jobs I did, it started off quite mild abuse, touchy-feely abuse from, from people. Um, and then by the time I was getting into my, my teens, it was full-on abuse uh, events that we were taken to and cabarets that we did and getting ready backstage. And I, I literally remember being getting ready for... A, a quick change on the side of a stage and somebody trying to, as they were changing me, trying to touch me. And um, one of the older boys from the show, just that I went to school with, come and stood in front of me. And um, he said, no, no, no. He said, no, he said to one of the girls, get her changed. 
get a change. And he stood there and he said, you can just to touch me. And, and I'll never forget that. And then as I got older, it sort of, it makes me really upset because as I got older, I then became that boy for the other younger ones. I was like, no, 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 it's fine. Don't touch them. And that's how it sort of, it went. And um, a lot of abuse, a lot of abuse prevailed. We're talking like the, in the aces, early nineties. It was um, a very different industry to what it is today. Thank God. I mean, I, I think Sylvia Young would have gone absolutely crazy if she'd have known. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's, we know of certain people that have been convicted for it. Um, yeah, people that worked with children, I'm rightly so. Certain people that worked with children very closely. But what I just kind of get my head around from the stories I hear and listening to you is how the hell was it allowed? How did how did because it was a very close um, close circle of people that are involved between. It's like the the Illuminati turnout thing. Really, it's like you know. That, that being sworn into something, a secret circle, you know, a job for, for the boys. Um, and that's why they say never work with children and animals. You know, because children speak and they speak up. And, um, but it was, it was, um, it wasn't a pleasant time. And a lot of people I went to school with aren't here anymore because of abuse that went on. And you know what, Facebook's been a great thing for me because literally everybody I went to school with, God bless the people that aren't here, but that are, um, we all have our traits, mental health wise, if it wasn't for abuse, it's for rejection from working very early and getting a lot of rejection or bulimia or anorexia or all of those things because it's all self-image. Um, and, and all of that stuff is self-harm. It's all self-harm and it's self-harm and not what you can see on the outside always just because you're not cutting or burning yourself or or something like that. It doesn't mean you're not literally tearing yourself to pieces on the inside. And that and that's really painful for people. And I think one of the, the big things to come out of this pandemic is people are speaking to each other and we're losing a lot of people because people aren't speaking. But at the same time, these podcasts are letting people listen to other people's voices and they can sit at home and think I'm not alone the pain that I'm in now I can get help for I mean I, I didn't I didn't seek help for my troubles which led me on to a huge cocaine addiction and, and a fair few relapses along the way um because one of the first drugs I was ever given well the first thing I was ever given before any alcohol was a line of coke very young I was very young let's say I was very young and um and it's always been my emotional crutch. And I have to really fucking check myself when when things go wrong for me. I have to really check myself because I have to physically and emotionally remove myself from places. Yeah. Because it's so easy. I've sat in meetings of a 12-step program and listened to people 20 years clean that have, have been doing a business deal and things have gone wrong and they've just reached to their drinks cabinet. And before they know it, they're halfway through a bottle of gin or a bottle of whiskey. And I'm like, Wow, how did that happen? And sure enough, there it happened for me after 14 years. A lot went wrong in my marriage and um, neither one to blame. It was just a breakdown of marriage. You know, we just grew out of love. And, and uh, the first thing I did, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known where to find drugs. I was 14 years clean. And within two days, I had cocaine. I found it because that was my crutch. You know, and that addict is always there. It's like an internal scab that pick, you pick away at. And you think, I know what I'll do, I'll numb myself. I'll numb myself. And you go back to that, some people gamble, some people, you know, some people um, 
a sex addict, some people are gambling addicts, some people are a gym bunny addicts, you know, to the gym, and some people are OCD, some people have got all these things going on for them that they're addicted to. Mine, my first ever thing that numbed me and stopped me feeling anything through being abused as a child and 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 sexually exploited, if you like, was was coke. They gave me a line of coke and and dabs of coke and stuff, and and I was physically couldn't speak on it or anything. And that's still today. If I use today, I can't speak. I'll take cocaine. Everyone else is going, and I go, and I can't hold my breath. I can't breathe. I have an internal panic attack. It's not an enjoyable thing for me, you know, mm-hmm. because it, I straight away have that internal trigger that goes to that, that time. Because I was that young and this drug spun me out so much I couldn't speak and I was so petrified of what people were doing to me. I couldn't breathe. And I didn't know about panic attacks or, or um, psychosis and stuff like that, but I've got all of those traits. So now the minute I pick up coke, that's what happens to me. And now for many years, I put cocaine with alcohol, with sex, with everything else, and I partied and I was in London on the scene all the time. Like four or five nights a week, I was on the scene because I didn't want to sit in my own head. I just wanted to get out of my own head. Just, um, just on, just on um, when, when you started facing the abuse at a young age, when did you choose to, to speak out, Daniela? When did you... We didn't. We spoke between each other, the kids. Um, all of us spoke between each other because it was we knew it wasn't right and it wasn't normal. I mean, God, uh, it made my dad really ill when he found out as an adult. I didn't tell anybody, my family-wise, until I wrote my second book. Um, I did speak to somebody about it once, uh, one of the chaperones about it once, and I was told to shut up and go to work. Mm-hmm. If you want to work, this is what you do. Your parents pay a lot of money for you to go to this school. I thought... And inside, I didn't want to upset my parents, but in hindsight, as an adult now, looking back, I was just a kid. Looking back, you know, I've always been told to, you know, when I was a kid, if you have trouble, find a policeman or this, this, this and this, you know, tell my parents everything. Suddenly I was being given drugs and being abused and I was hiding secrets from my family, the people that care about me the most, the people that love me more than anything in the world. Did you just fear that they might, you thought at that age, they might be annoyed with you? No, not at all. I just, I was, I was told by an adult not to do something, so I didn't do it. So I didn't go and tell my mum, because I know my mum would have wrung the blinking neck, yeah. you know, and, and my mum probably would be in jail for life over it, and, and my dad, but my mum will so. You know, my mum my wouldn't, um, God, no, I mean, she put me into an industry as her precious child, her doll, because mm-hmm. she was proud of me, not for me to get abused and and stuff to happen to me. And still today, we had a conversation about it a couple of months ago. Sat at the kitchen table, was just having a cuppa at midday, and we are talking about stuff. And she went, you know, you wasn't seven when you started the industry, you was nine. Something in my head said I was seven. So now I have to completely, every time someone says to me, oh, you were seven years old, I was like, no, actually, I didn't actually go into it until I was nine, my mum told me. But in my head, I'd, I'd locked away so many things. And through doing a lot of therapy, and a lot, I've got a great therapist, Michelle, who's at the Priory, she's fantastic. and. We're doing a lot of work with her and a lot of, I know it sounds a bit hippie and airy fairy, but I do a lot of law of attraction and the secret work and stuff like that. And, and it's all based on inner feeling. The secret is the way you feel. Um, she taught me about my inner child and going back and going back and going back. And I, I sort of sat and spoke about everything and I, and I grieved for that, for that time of my life and everything. And I spoke to my mum about it and we both sort of grieved about it together because my mum felt terrible. She's like, I just never knew. How did I never know? Um, 
And when I was about 13, my mum went through a terrible time of cancer. And we spent a lot of time in hospital, so she was away from home. And it wasn't something I would really tell my dad. Do you know what I mean? I've yeah, never I seen my, I've never seen my, I've never seen my dad in the nude ever. I've yeah, never I seen my parents, I've never ever seen my parents drunk. So, you know, it's not like this day and age where people, you know, their mums are on a webcam, you know, yeah. and stuff, uh, you know, or everyone's walking around in their underwear these days and on Instagram in their pants. So, you know, it's like, yeah. we didn't have that. So I mean, I've never seen me, I'm, I'm, I'm 47 years of age, I've never seen my dad up and in a pair of swimming trunks. You know, that's about as, as nude as it gets, it's Bermuda's. You know, it's like, it wasn't. We just wasn't yeah, brought up just, that it way. Wouldn't, it wouldn't have been something you would you would have felt too embarrassed to to, to discuss. Oh God, no! I mean, I remember my nan having an absolute nightmare about somebody nicking a pair of her drawers off the line once in the back garden. You know, there was a peeping tom in the area. You know, and it's like, but this day and age, everyone just speaks freely about it. So it wasn't so much that I thought they'd be angry with me at all. It was, I loved working, I loved it, but I just hated the abuse, and I, I sort of just got to the point where. I just married the two together. And for me, abuse was part of being an adult and part of working. And I think when my friends went on to have sexual encounters with people at 16, 17, 18 boyfriends and, and losing their virginity and stuff, technically, really, I'd already lost mine. And and I was the last person to have, I was a, like a boyfriend, but I was the last person to do anything of a sexual nature. And everyone just goes, she's so frigid. And I was like, I wasn't, I was petrified. Mm. And also, I had no feeling. I didn't know how to feel because I just put that experience with dirty old men and women and work. Because it wasn't just men that are like it, women are like it as well. You know, and I've seen some very, very well-known people uh, um, and some people in, a, in, terrible, in big positions of power do some shocking things to children. Uh, and, and to me, and it's not... And it's not um, to me, it's not normal to to um to anyone to have to go through so much and see so much. And I just think, and yet these people walk around like they're so high and mighty. And they, you know, heads of organizations and all these things. And I just think, well, these people sleep at night. I I they're a special breed unto their own. I've always thought it, and I'm obsessed with watching um documentaries on on things like the Wests or Myra Hindley or different people, because I think, how do these people ever meet each other? How do two people so sick ever meet up and and come up? Where does that conversation ever come up? How do two people ever think like that? Because it's not normal for us normal people to think no, in not, that no. manner. I don't know anybody that can look at a child and think of anything other than that's a baby. I'm a father myself, and, you know, I've got three children, and, you know, you're a mother. So you know now that you you probably oh like uh, even think even th I mean listening to listening to you, I'm feeling myself getting emotional, and then I'm thinking about my own children and I'm thinking oh that's man, normal. I, I would I would just want I don't I, I, just, I don't know what it's hor it's horrible to think what your dad what you could do if anything ever should yeah, happen exactly. And so now do you sort of understand relaying that back to your question? Do you sort of understand as a child? why it wouldn't be a normal thing to bring up to your parents i can i can you know you've explained the way you've uh, my, my initial question to you was obviously you know did you think of about your parents? but when you break it down and you actually you know talk about it from what your experience i obviously can't talk about I, I, 
Thank this goodness you can't. Your experience. I never went. I never went through something like Thank that. Thank goodness. Um, and because a lot of sports people did. Yeah, I'd imagine. I'd imagine a lot of sports people would have as well. I mm-hmm. think I was kind of. I was at home. Um, until That's good. I didn't go to London until I was. I signed the contract when I was seventeen. Then I went to London. Seventeen. I was a bit more. You know. Yeah, I was a man. Yeah, you left yeah, school when you was a young guy, you know. Yeah, I was yeah. a young guy at that point, so I think I would have been able to, you know, hold your own, hold, hold my own. But at the age of nine years old, a young girl, you know, young boys at that age, they don't know. They, yeah, I'll home. be honest. The boys got a lot worse time than us girls. The boys got a terrible, terrible time of things that I, I just think, and I still speak to a lot of them, a lot of my friends from school today. Where I, you know, I'm actually come down to Wales. I'm living with a friend of mine from my class at school. Is thirty. Before I'm taking over her her house, I've just got her house from her. Yep. Um, she's moving, and I've moved in before she goes out. So, you're, you're and it's lovely. Life and all that. I love it. I just love it. But um, do you know what? I'm just not running away anymore. But I just think I I speak to guys that I went to school with, boys and girls. But the boys and uh, do you know what? I'd say a good two thirds of us are in recovery for one one addiction or another because of what of trauma. Yeah. because of trauma because you know we're all running from something and then like this day and age it's more mental health it gives you people have got bipolar and and other you know psychosis and lots of other issues because of because of trauma in my day and age it was early 90s it was you know like the business film with Danny and Tamar it was everybody was on drugs everyone was on cocaine they had to stop brokers that it was a high life and at that time people as well you would have come across lots of Lots of uh, professional sports people, in, I'd imagine, as oh, well. Oh, God, loads, yeah. Sports people are always cool. Sports people are always cool with me. You know why? Because you, you guys are you're very disciplined people. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to, to turn up and, and, and do a very physical job. Mm-hmm. So I do know quite a lot of boxers, footballers, golfers, you know, tennis players, cricketers, mm-hmm. all sorts of sports. And um, some of those, some people throughout that, that industry as well that 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 way in the entertainment I've got very good friends with because they've kept me more grounded because they know the industry they know about fame they know about the size of press and the and the bad publicity good publicity when you're flying you're flying and when you're not you're not when you're not winning your fights so you're not playing yeah. for that team anymore or you're not playing for your country with cricket and stuff or when you mm-hmm. you know Tuffers Tuffers has always been a great mate of mine Paul Tuffner and, he, and he's seen things go through the wrong, the wrong yeah. way and the other way and he's turned it around mm-hmm. um they've been a great leveler for me because they've been in the industry but on a different side of the industry so they know fame and everything else but they've got discipline and that's one thing I had I kicked against was discipline because I was disciplined in the wrong way by the wrong people Mm-hmm. within that circle within that pedophile ring so I was disciplined in that way whereas you guys are disciplined within your sport mm-hmm. and within your own person I didn't have that yeah. so <clears throat> good friends of mine that are in sport have been at the top of their game and are now coaching people and doing stuff um are great levelers for me because they understand I can talk freely to them someone like you can see I can speak freely to because you've been in the public eye you mm-hmm. are in the public eye but you're doing a different journey now like, as am I um, and you understand mm-hmm. that you can't always trust everybody to talk to, but you're also discussing a, pro- a story like this, such as this, such as mine, five, ten years ago, or well, ten years ago, let's say, would have been classed as more of a conspiracy theory and, oh, she, what is she smoking today? Because that just sounds ludicrous. But since it's all blown up, people are now, like the pandemic, people are looking into it and seeing that conspiracy theories, are they, though? Are they conspiracy or is there a little bit of truth in those? Mm-hmm. 
No, so, it's, 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 listen, so moving into, back to your acting acting career as well, you, you're famously known, and how I know you very well, is watching you on the screens all through the 90s for playing the lovely Sam Mitchell, the little rascal Sam Mitchell at times as well, no doubt. She's but, but you were well well looked after um, in your family on set by the as late... As well, it's up for the BBC as well. BBC as well, um, but the late Barbara Windsor, who played Peggy yeah. Mitchell, and then you had Ross Kemp, who played uh, who played Grant, and then you, you obviously had big, you know, big brother Phil as well. Now... I really want to, because this is like a real time of my life. I can relate to this. You so I can see you getting a bit excited. I, yeah, about this. I, I, listen, <laughs> me, me, my mum and my sister, my mum would iron on a Sunday. And, and obviously you'd get the omnibus. So you, if you didn't catch all the episode through the week, you'd catch up with three, four Most episodes. Most people did on a Sunday, yeah. did it on a Sunday. So I would sit down and, you know, I love Grant and Phil. I loved your character. I love Peggy. They, the Mitchells, to me, are... What EastEnders, you know, really, that's when I loved EastEnders. I'm going to be honest and say... Back in the day with Frank Butcher and everybody. Right, Arthur Fowler. I don't don't watch it anymore. I turned it it on recently and I was just... I I remember, I I recognised one or two. But back then was the real... You know, I really, you know, really, really enjoyed it. Take me back till you were about 16 when you got your role. um, To go go on EastEnders. Tell me about that journey, please. I was the luckiest girl in England. <laughs> I really was. And I got to be with Sid, and I spoke to Sid yesterday, actually, and because I posted a picture yesterday of our wedding, it was 30 years ago I this week that we got married on the show. And, you know, 28 and a half million people tuned in to watch us get married. 28 and a half million people? Yeah, now we're lucky, no, if, we get, now we're lucky we if we get then. 3 million views or 4 million views an episode because of the Sunday Omnibus. That's why the Sunday Omnibus was such a huge thing because it used to be the four, the two episodes together because we only used to be on on a Tuesday and Thursday then. Yeah, yeah and then and then well there was only four channels on the TV then. Mm-hmm. Channel four was quite new. That's how old we are, people. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> um, yeah so we used to get, but you know, we ran away to Gretna Green, and I remember getting this job, and I think they saw fifteen hundred girls for the part, and. It went over a course of three months. And then I remember doing my last audition. I had to go off to Elstree. And I was allowed to go without a chaperone because I turned 16. And um, I put my pen down at Sylvia Young's. I put my pen down in my history lesson. I just put my hand up and they went, go on, go. And everyone was like, good luck, good luck, good luck. And I was like, thank you. And it was only in my whole year. I think it was 18 of us in the whole year at that, that school. It was such a small school. And we all got on so well. It was great. And off I went to Elstree in my school uniform with my long blonde hair and my little quiff. And I sat there and there was four other girls, that I'd, two of which I'd seen at a, a previous castings. And it was at the BBC in Elstree. And for those of you that haven't been there, there's probably a lot of people that haven't. Um, it's where they do Holby City and stuff. Yep. So you'll go in and you'll notice it from Holby. But the reception area, you can look over the top, it is like a hospital. And like, there was a little, can, like, little cafe bar upstairs and I sat down there like this. And I just saw this head come over the top of a sausage roll hanging out of his mouth and all this hair. And he went, oi, girls, are you here casting for Sam? And I was like, yeah, I am. We are, yeah, like this. And he went, yeah, all right then. He said, well, I've got to read with you lot, so I'll see you in a minute. And he was like, jumping on his thing like that, I've always long hair. And all the girls were all giggling. I was like, dickhead. 
<laughs> like that thinking of, and I went upstairs and we started chatting and he went yeah you'll do I was like yeah I might do for you but you wouldn't do for me and the casting director was laughing because they could hear us outside like choking about anyway yeah. we went in and we read and there was a, two pictures there of the boys Ross and Steve and my picture in the middle and obviously as each the other three girls went in they put their picture up um and I read with Sid and I got on great I saw Michelle Gale because I already knew her because I used to do Grange Hill with her yeah. bumped into her on the way out and, and she was like oh did you read with Sid because she'd only been there six months as well and I was like yeah 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 because they were in the Tavernier family then yeah yeah and um I said yeah 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 she went oh I think they're starting Sam's meant to be in, he's in next week's script so I was like what I was like she went yeah you're here fast if you get it so anyway I left there got the train from Elsdor all the way back to, to, to London to Lout then back to Loughton and I've been in the drive about 40 minutes and the phone rang. And back then we had a phone in my mum's room. We were a bit posh. And um, I was upstairs. My mum went, Danny, get the phone. Sylvie's on the phone. And I picked the phone off and my mum put the other one down. And I'll never forget it. We lived in Baldwin's Hill in Alton, right opposite the forest. I was looking out the window and Sylvia said, Daniela, it's me, Sylvia. I said, hello, Sylvia. And um, she said, you got it. They're biking you a script now. You start tomorrow at nine. Your car will be there for you at 7.30. I was like, what? She went, you've got it, well done. She went, you're on a six-month deal. And I just got there the next day. I couldn't sleep. I, I was so excited. I, was, I went to bed at nine o'clock, still up at one, going to my mum, what am I going to do? I'd learnt the lines. I knew it. I, that was easy for me. And I went the next day and I just walked on out into Albert Square and I just was like, wow. Wow, man, this is, this is my new home for a bit. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is the biggest dream come true, you know? And I did my scene with Sid. Um, and Dave Bowen was our cameraman. He's still there now, head of cameras. And I met the boys. They were like, "Oh, so you're our little sister and stuff." And it was just like, "Well, I need to, I need to dig on that." I mean, what? They're so what cool, like man. I, I, I actually get, I actually vibe off that still today. When I talk about it now, I'm like, I can just feel that feeling of when I walked in the square and I just saw Albert Square and the Vic, and I was like, "Wow." What was what 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 were what were they like to work with? Well, I'm going to call phenomenal, phenomenal. Stevie McFadden, who plays Phil, is such a fantastic. Both the boys are great actors. Very different, very versatile, but great. Um, and I've always been there, like their little sister on set, and it's like they've always just looked out for me. And Steve can make me cry like that. He plays Phil, like even now, he can turn around and we'll do a scene, and he'll say something, and he'll just say. And I'll just cry. Whereas Ross is the one that I could, who's meant to be the harder one, Grant, yeah. that I can just get round my little finger. You know, it was like she'd look at him. And I remember doing a scene where we were getting married and then we came back to Albert Square and we'd run away to get married. And Phil and Grant were chasing us across the country and so was Frank and, <laughs> Frank and somebody else. It was like that. It's brilliant when you see look, look, the footage now, it's showing on, on, a, on, a, on a channel somewhere. People are saying they're watching it. And it is funny. And Pat and Frank are, are running across the country looking for us. Right. And then, um, our mum at the time then was played by a lady called Jo Warren, played Peggy Mitchell first. Yep. Um, and then the boys rallied and rallied and rallied to get Bath in, and we like eventually we were lucky enough to get her. But you know, and I remember doing a scene where we came back to Albert Square and we had this white wedding, and they um, the EastEnders called up my school, Sylvia Youngs, and said, Can we have some Daniela's classmates in to be our bridesmaids? But we're not going to tell Daniela. So okay. I turned up, I turned up to do the scene for the church. They wouldn't let me in the church to do the scene. They're like, no, you have to stay around here in the portal cabinet. I was like, well, I want to go around to get a cup of tea. I thought, no, we'll get you a cup of tea. I was thinking, 
going to get me, but no one ever does this for us. It's going, why are you getting out a cup of tea? You're letting me go around there like that. Why is she special? They were like, no, because we don't want our curls to drop out and stuff. I'm thinking, okay. Anyway, I came around the corner for the scene and I remember because I had trainers, Reebok Classics on at the bottom of this wedding dress because it was raining. So I'd come around the corner and you literally see my face go, oh my God. And my friends from school were all standing outside the church going, yeah, like they all knew they were going to be there. I didn't know. And it was really a lovely, t- in fact, Danielle, my friend Danielle Eggers and I were talking about it last night and she said, do you remember that day? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do remember. Really nice. Dad gave, it, uh, Dad gave really us all a lift home as well. That's a really nice touch by the, by the producers to, to do something yeah, like they that. They were great. It was Corinne Hollingsworth was there then and, and she was fabulous. And um, it was just a nice thing, but it was like, you know, we spent all this time running away and getting away with Ricky and Sam. And then we came back and they'd actually put my class friends from Sylvia's in as my bridesmaids and my wedding things. That's sweet. That's sweet. It, it was sweet. such a great thing. But back then we didn't have camera phones and stuff to Snapchat and stuff. So all we've got are our memories. And, and then... um. And we still talk about it today, we're so lucky. But uh, yeah, I had some great times and I'll never forget, we did this scene back there when I had this white wedding and there was a scene and I kept doing my hair in the mirror. And Ross Kemp says to me something, and he says, you know, I love you, don't you? I was like, oh, I wish mum could be here. I look so ugly and all this. And he's like, you don't look ugly. And I had to pull a face I'm like, to him. And he come over and he just kissed us off my head and I just cried. I could cry thinking about it because we were so close, all of us. Mm-hmm. you know as a family and then Barbara came in and um it changed it, it changed it switched the Mitchell family up I think it gave us a, a completely different moral standing within the square mm-hmm. because it caught, sort of softened the edges of the boys it sort of showed you where the boys got their hardness from but mm-hmm. where Sam got her brassiness and a and yeah. Cockney Sparrow thing from and it sort of she just went and become this matriarch of Albert Square that was a force to be reckoned with and and she was just Barbara for me was the most phenomenal actress unbelievable yeah and watching her watching her with Pat Pam St Clement or watching her with Junie Brown I like I could watch June Brown act all day but mm. June's phenomenal dog and she's just great oh, and, those, I, and I really have yeah, learned from the best legendary, people huh? legendary those three all, all three of them together were just Phenomenal. And of course, Wendy Richards as well. Late Wendy Richards was a great actress as well. And I mean, I used to watch Bill Treacher work. We played Arthur. Bill's fabulous. Letitia Dean, a most underrated actress ever. Like, I mean, I can watch Tish just go from doing something, go, well, laughing and joking to the next scene. She's absolutely sobbing and breaking down. I went to school with Letitia. Mm-hmm. She's got a swim brother, Stephen, who used to chaperone me. Never let anyone hurt me. It was lovely. Um, but you know, most underrated because she's, you know, as much as Sharon's in everything on EastEnders, you know, you don't see the amount of work that girl does. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's learning like script lines and scripts like that, that thick of a night at home and back in at quarter to seven the next morning. She's literally given her life to that show. And she's mm-hmm. phenomenal, phenomenal mm-hmm. actress, Adam Woodjack, phenomenal actor. That's, but she was she was brilliant, and obviously she went off for a lot years and years and years. Yes, and she did. And then came and then came back. Obviously, with with you, this was when the media, you know, started. You know, you started making, you started coming in the media quite a bit. You know, you're obviously you were struggling with your addiction on and off. Yeah, I was at that time then when we got married, didn't I? You were on and off. You know, there were there were stages where you were off EastEnders, and then you were back. I had to. I had to. I was dying at one page. What was going? What what was going on? Were you just? Was it? Was it? Was it? Get? Was it? Was the addiction? I just couldn't do fame. I couldn't, I couldn't do, I couldn't do, um, 
I lost my my moral standing. I didn't know. I was a teenager. I was 18, 19. Uh, I, I was at Smash It's Roadshows, Smash It's Polaris Parties. I was presenting Top of the Pops. I did. I was I was meeting Mariah Carey. I was doing, you know, Sid and I met Mariah. We did a show with her. And I, I worked with everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I worked with so many people. I was in the West End doing a show. I did... I did so much. I did work with Timothy Spawn, played his niece, with Leslie, with Leslie Sharp on Frank Stubbs. Ross went off to ITV, got a whole golden handshake deal at ITV and went off and did stuff there and did the army thing and that that he did. And then he did the gang thing, got Ross Temple gangs and stuff. It was a crazy time where the industry just had so much money to throw at us. It was, it was kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. I was in London, on the London scene at Browns. I was at Browns. I was at Limelight. I was in Emporium. I was at China White's Cafe de Paris. Titanic, da, da, da. I was everywhere. I was in Manchester, right. closing the Hacienda. You I was at the rave well. scene. I was on the rave scene. I was backstage. I was going out of Robbie Williams. Then I was going out of Brian Harvey. I was around Oasis. I was around people flying everywhere. You know, I mm. met the, I, I couldn't believe it. I met Oasis. I remember getting on an EasyJet flight to do a gig in Barcelona. And I was with Javi. The whole flight was celebrities. They flew us all over to do this thing at an amphitheater in Barcelona, and there was Jarvis Cocker and yep. Damon from Blur, and and I remember sitting there with my mate, and I was pregnant with Khan. I was like, "This is fucking wicked." <laughs> it was like a, it was like that Snoop Dogg film that he did with the airplane. It was like everyone was just partying on the plane, yeah, yeah. drinking and having fun. And then we got to this thing in the amphitheater and was listening to like to like Blur and that play live and singing Park Life. It was just a crazy time, you know. And I did. Um, and then obviously I was with Brian Harvey for years and I was like, mm-hmm. I was presenting MTV awards and doing it. it was crazy. And my friends were at college. I had no one to share the journey with. And I was apart from, apart from people that were, that were doing, apart from people that were doing what I'm doing. And I, uh, so I just parted a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember ringing my best mate and she says openly on a show that I did called In Therapy. And I, uh, I'm saying to her, Jean, I'm with George Michael, come out, we're doing so and so. She was like, I can't. She said, I'm just having a... <laughs> I'm just waiting for me, I'm waiting for my pizza art to be delivered. I've got to be in college at half eight. I was like, don't worry, I'll pay for it, I'll get you a cab up here. She was like, Dan, I can't. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what do you mean you can't? She's like, we're going out, we're all going out next Saturday night, save it for then. I went, I can't save it for now. I'm with George Michael, we're going to the, you know, we're going to somewhere we was going in Covent Garden. I don't think of what it was, we was going somewhere other. I was like, you've got to come then, it's George Michael. You know, I'm ringing her off the payphone with my phone card, like that, you know. And she's like, I can't. And I sort of just sort of lost all my mates. And I'm still yeah. best friends with them lot today. They're still my best friends. But like, you know, I, I just, I'm driving around in a brand new three series BM convertible and my mates are getting the tube and like, they just felt like they didn't fit in with me anymore. And I, I lost that because of I was working I was earning a lot of money and my mates wouldn't have taken night out of me or take money enough me. they weren't they weren't bottom feeders they were decent people and they still are decent people hence why they're still in my life um I, think, I wanted to ask you do you think you met a lot of fake people in the industry yeah everyone I met well pretty much everyone not 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 no not pretty much everyone I met at all because my crew at EastEnders aren't fake people mm-hmm. uh, my cast at EastEnders aren't fake people um, no, not at all. I'm talking about the London life, the late, like the late, the late night, you know, clubbing and everything. No, I think I've still got good friends. Jake that used to own Brown, still a really good friend of mine. Um, 
he had a club in Knightsbridge as well. Jake's a good mate, a very good mate of mine, Tommy Mack. I've got good friends, you know, Denzel used to have legends. Mike's husband, the point Mike's husband had the Atlantic know, Bar. People that huh? knew you were famous. I mean it more from the point of view that people that knew you were famous and wanted to kind of be around you because you were famous. You know, you, you hear it with sports people sometimes, you know, you need to be careful. The mm. I had a lot of bad management and, and yep. PRs and people that were around me and used to just drain me dry and get tables in my name and drinks and da 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 That's a good thing. I had that kind of thing going on a lot. And, you know, um, but me, I was too out of my, I was too off my barnet all the time, I think, for, for it. I just was, um, I don't know, I was just too, I was too out of my head all mm. the time. And plus, I was then being faced with a lot of people that um, that were still around that had abused me as a child that knew me then as an adult and a famous adult. Mm -hmm. So I was being victimised quite a lot as well and bullied quite a lot industry-wise of you need to keep your mouth shut and you need to do A, B and C. And because I wouldn't conform and I don't want to, I didn't want to become an abuser. I didn't really fit in. Mm -hmm. And that's why I parted hard as well. Um because I didn't want to be around these people. And the BBC saved my life because my abuse stopped the day I started there. Good, thank God, thank God. Yeah, because the BBC is still, it's a, you know, it's a real, a, a real organisation. Well, it's the British Broadcasting Corporation and it's the best you can get in the world. So for me, it's, uh, they've, they've just always looked after me like that. And people say, oh, EastEnders didn't look after you when you had an addiction. Yeah, they did. They really did look after me. They, the show didn't let me down, I let me down. The show did everything in its power to help me. You know, the show wasn't built for Daniela Westbrook. The show was built for the <laughs> EastEnders is EastEnders. It's not, you know, it wasn't there for me. But you know, talk, talking to you and getting the chance to speak to you. I remember that time. I remember when you were going out with the, with, with Brian from E17. Stay now, baby. Yeah, what a tune, man. Oh, I love him. I, lo I love that. That was, that was a great tune. But obviously your lifestyle was constantly in the media, constantly picturing you as coming out of places, oh, you know, they're, they're, they're up to no good or blah, blah, blah. But nobody knew back then. I mean, social media now, you can't, you can't fart and it'll be on social media and people will know about it. Uh, I have to check your social media just to see what I'm meant to have done. Yeah, exa exactly. But see back, see back then, the media portrayed you as just this not good person who takes drugs, and, and is out of control. Mm. They didn't know. The media, they knew. Part. They knew that I'd been abused. They knew. They were part. They part. They were part of my abuse. But but um, I was watching at home on the TV. On the TV, you just watching my life fall apart. She's yeah. She's ruining her life, and now you know your story's getting told. It's 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 out. I'm getting to speak to you today about it. What you went through as a child, it's it was the trauma that ch children like you have faced. What. You can't. This, this, you people have killed themselves on that. People have kept. I'm amazed with the stuff that you've been through because we'll, you know, we'll, we'll go on to talk about other. You know, obviously, you, you've you've went back. You were obviously a very talented, talented woman. You know, for you know, it wasn't just extenders you were on. You went. You, I've done all sorts. You presented. I mean, listening to you today talking about some of your childhood, I, I'm amazed at some of the things you've done. But you went on. You did. You know. You know, dancing, dancing on ice. You know, that, what, what, was that, what was that experience like? Oh, my God. I met Jane Torben and Christopher Dean. I got to skate with them. Legend. I mean, who's ever going to... Especially after coming from a Colgate commercial where I couldn't skate at all, you know, to suddenly being taught how to skate by the, the gold champion, you know, gold gold medalists. 
um, yep. by Jane and Chris. And we was taught to skate by Jane and Chris. And they put all of our routines together and they spent a lot of time with us through the whole show. I was there for like 14 weeks uh, on the show and, and two months before training. Um, I had the time of my life and I still watch it every week with envy, wishing it was me. I still wish every week. I was like, and I did the show 10 years ago and I sat and I wish, and somebody said, I didn't watch it last night. Somebody said, oh, you was on the show last night. And um, I was like, was I? And I was like, I still, now when I'm in a bad mood now, or I feel down now, other than getting out and running and, and doing stuff, and obviously my kids are around, my son says to me, Mum, put on, put on Dance on Ice when Jason Gardner gave you that high school and you just lost it. I just stood there and I was like, and I, and I said, and every time I did say on the show, every time I'm in a bad mood, I'm going to watch this. And I have 10 years later, I still watch that. And I also watch my exit interview and my best bits from Big Brother because that was an amazing time for me too. How long were you, how long were you in the Big Brother house for in total? Uh, I think we were there nearly five weeks. I went to the final. Yeah, I was there for the final. I was in the final. Um, I, I and one of my best, one of my very best friends today, still today, two of them, three of them, Chris Maloney, Johnny Partridge and, and Darren Day were all in there with me. I couldn't have wished for better, but, you know, JP's great. And I've worked with JP, obviously, on EastEnders. And, and he went on and won MasterChef and he does lots of theatre and stuff. John's great. Chris Maloney I met when he was doing X Factor. Um, and he had a terrible time of it getting bullied and social media and stuff like that. And we became close friends. We go on holiday together nearly every year. We're, I'm seeing, actually um, seeing him as soon as lockdown's over. We're booking, of, of, of booking and going to Turkey. Um, get some new turkey teeth. Um, yeah. And yeah. And then Darren Day, I speak to Daz every week. I have done. Spoke to Darren every couple of months at least. The least is every few months, if not most weeks. Since we left the house in 2016, Darren Day's one of my best mates. That's, that's, so, so all in all, uh, Big Brother was a good experience. You enjoyed oh, it. Do you know what? I went in Big Brother and I was doing anywhere between 7 and, and 11 grams a gear a day. I was in a bad, bad place. It wasn't the worst of my addiction, but I was on the road. I was. It was a close second, a hair's breath second. And my kids, my son begged me, do not go in that house. Do not go in that house. You are absolutely daffy ducked, to put it politely. He said, don't go in there. Mm-hmm. He said, you can't even get up in the morning without doing, taking a line of coke. He said, if you go in that house, we're not going to talk. And I said to him, but I need the money, can I need the money? He went, what, so you can put yourself in the grave? He said, don't do it, mum, I'm begging you, don't do it, me and you will never speak again. And I had to do it, because I knew I had debt, I knew I had everything coming up against me. I was using a lot. Remember, people would give me drugs because I was Daniel Westbrook, mm-hmm. but then people still had to be paid. Mm-hmm. Um, and they literally fucking shoved me through that door when the big eye opens. And I walked out, went in the house, and I hadn't taken drugs for two days before because they put you in a hotel. So I didn't take anything with me. Um, and I walked out on there, and I thought, that's it, I'm never going to speak. My kids are never going to speak to me again. My daughter already wasn't talking to me because of my behaviour and everything else um, and the way things have gone. Um, but I hadn't seen her for nearly two years and still continued to use on that because I was in the poor me situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all obviously about me being the addict, it always is. Um, and I thought, as I walked out that door, I thought, oh, my son's going to be watching and never speak to me again. And I just thought, head up, get on with it, show the world you're okay, you can do this. And I woke up in that house the next morning, I didn't have one come down. I was like, no, I'm here, and I'm at work, I did it. And then when they brought the family into the house, two days before the final, my son came down the stairs and I just fell apart. So I thought, I didn't think he'd ever be there. 
But um, so was he really proud of you at that point? Uh, do you know what? He was just so happy for me. But yeah, I still came out on the night of the final and, and ended up getting on it. Untouched it for five weeks, ended up getting on it. Because do you know what? I thought it was going to be everything I craved. Because for me, the biggest addiction was, was, was fame. So I thought. Mm-hmm. And I was in the Big Brother house and it's really strange how quickly you become institutionalised. So I understand how people that go to jail become very institutionalised, people that have been in there a long time and then come out of prison and find the whole world of things very daunting. Um, I walked out on that final, remembering I hadn't seen anybody in there for five weeks other than when they took me out to the dentist, but I walked out on the night of the final and the noise of the crowd, when that door opened and they went down, you know, I, I was shaking. And I walked out and I did the whole the whole thing, the whole celebrity thing, da, 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 da. And they got me backstage and I just broke down. And they were like, well, I was like, I can't see anybody. I don't want to see anybody. I'm freaking the hell out. Because I hadn't heard another human voice in there other than this is Big Brother, can you come to the diary room? And the people we were with, and then when they brought our family in. And to suddenly get all of that, and I thought that would give me the biggest rush of adrenaline because all eyes on me and it's what I wanted. I hated it. You went on and you did, I don't know if you did this before or after it, but you did um, I'm a Celebrity. Get me well, out before, I did that when my daughter was a year old. I did it in 2002. Nine days, how would you describe Eight that? days and I legged it. The, the day I knew my check was clearing, mate, I was like, I'm a Celebrity, get me out of here. Words I would never say in my life. I didn't actually say the words either because I'm just so embarrassed to say it. Was it just not for you? Was it, was it not? Uh, listen, I was married to a multimillionaire. Going to the toilet in a fucking hole in the ground was not a bit of me. I broke a nail and I was like, I need to go to the Versace. I'm not happy here. I, 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 this is not for me. Who were you on there? Was, mate, who, who was, who was I on? I was with Tuffers. Oh, that's right. That was that series. Tuffers was that like, was come that. on, Westie, you can do it. With that big cat smile at me. It's like, <laughs> I was like, shut up, Tuffers. I want to go home. I want to be in the Versace. And um, I just legged it out of that. I was crap. But I'd go back and do it now because I know, I'm, I think I'm a little bit more humble now, but then, you know, I was with her. I was married to a multimillionaire. I'd never been away from my kids. I was clean and sober. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, that's another thing. I was clean and sober, but I wasn't... I was working a programme, so I thought. I was, you know, turning up, going to meetings, never shared in a meeting, never did any of that. Didn't do... Ever did the two 12 steps until the last time round. I didn't work with steps. I didn't have a sponsor. But I stayed clean for 14 years, and I was what they would call... I was a dry, dry lining. I was just not... All the only thing I wasn't doing was picking up. Um, so my attitude was completely off and my mental health, and I still had all these demons that I hadn't battled with. Mm-hmm. And I just fixed, I plugged that hole and it's the, the hole from your soul, that hole that's, you know, crying out for something inside you. I plugged it then with money and shopping and everything else because my husband was rich. Um, and before that, I plugged it with sex and drugs and, and alcohol and, 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 and chaos. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it wasn't until this time round that I'm like, I learned how to do, you know, through the secret and law of attraction and through having a sponsor and through working a 12-step programme and doing daily gratitude lists and all of them things, you know, resentments, harms, daily things, daily resentment lists and stuff and, and, and texting it all to my sponsor on a daily basis and working a programme, help, being in service, helping others. All of those things I do today keeps me clean. That balanced diet, started doing herbal life, started repping for herbal life now, doing stuff like that, helping people, giving back. Now I'm learning to do producing, working alongside a friend of mine, Lee Salisbury, directing and that, and um, doing some stuff with him and opening a, opening up um, <clears throat> online 
workshops and courses of a friend of mine who's a casting director and my other one that's a director and then me as an actor. We've got workshops of people that we're, we're going to be hosting. Um, and hopefully when lockdown's over, we'll be able to do seminars for things for people. Um, just It's only this time round I've learned how to fill that void. Um, before that, I just kept plugging it with other things. You, you recently were on, um, I, seen a, I seen a clip where you were on Loose Women um, and you were, you were chatting about, you know what you've been diagnosed with, sadly. You know, you obviously have, you've suffered from your mental, mental health. Mm. You mentioned, you, you, you know, there's personality disorder, bipolar. Uh, it breaks my heart saying these things. Psychosis, you know, I've not got. By, I'm not by any stretch trying to, you know, be God. But, I mean, it's it, it's it's known there. And, it's, and I think you're a very, I'm very inspired talking to you today. You know, I I watched your, I've watched your podcast, one of your other podcasts recently. Um, but, you know, getting to speak to you directly, I feel like, you know, the journey you've been on, the life you've had from the from a very tender young age, you know, your parents didn't really know the industry. If your parents were film stars or big, you know, they might have been uh, a bit yeah, more. That's what I'm saying. It's not they're not with, to blame. With your kids now, you know, you could be like, I know your son, he's a he's a rapper and he's a he's he, you know, he's very talented. He's got four businesses. He, he, he was a rapper. Um yeah. he doesn't really do that now. He's got his own studio, he's got a 4D and 4D um imaging business, he's got a fish store. Wow. Um, he's got recording and podcast studios. Daughter, he's got, he has got a record deal, huh? Your daughter, she's also... she's. My also... daughter's got um, a social media management company. She does influencers and she does a lot to help people with their mental health, self-harm and online Brilliant. bullying. Brilliant. Um, and self-image, body image as well, because she's really um, she's really conscious of... Because she's got stretch marks and different things and, you know, sometimes she has bad skin and stuff. She's mm. really conscious to show people, this is me, this is how I look. And it's okay not to be okay. And, and and she talks about stuff on there. She's she's also got a lot of um self-help groups and stuff that she does for people, um, where they all sit on and, and empower each other and talk to each other and do stuff like that a couple of times a week. It's all free. And she does all that sort of stuff. She just started a little group like that with one of her other friends. They lost a friend of theirs in a car accident. Uh, unfortunately, two two of the girls died just over a year ago now. Um in a car crash someone was drink driving and, and they was in the car and they hit a tree and that was that <clears throat> and it sort of opened Jodie's eyes up to how short life is um and she just tried to help people and I think during the pandemic you know she's just we've all struggled with different things you know what I mean and I, I had to say to my kids listen I can't live in Essex just recently I can't I'm going to use if I live here yeah I can understand I that. don't fit in here yeah. and I, I know the big book says don't matter it's not about doing a geographical but I had, like I said earlier, I have to remove myself physically and mentally from situations that are harmful to me. Um, I just felt the whole area for me, as much as I love Essex, it's for me, it was it's too keeping up with the Joneses. There's too many skeletons. I know way too many people there that, that, that do stuff that I, I, I'm I prone to doing when I'm not in a good place. I have to look after me. If my recovery doesn't come first, then my kids, my kids can't. Mm -hmm. I've been watching you. Like I said, I've been watching you. You know, it was it was actually how just a, a story behind how this all came about. So you were on a podcast not so long ago, um, and I commented just to say, you know, I thought this was really cool. You came across really well, and I was sitting in the house, and the next minute I went on in my Twitter and it said uh, Daniela Westbrook follows you, and I'm like, must be a fake account. So I'm like, go on to Twitter, have a have a gander, and I'm like, 
225k followers. That can't be a fake account. That, that, that must be. I have a tick on there, you know. Yeah, that tick on there and everything. So, so then I was just sitting and I was thinking, I'm, 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 I'm trying to evolve this podcast. I'm trying to do different. Yeah. Things. I've spoken to lots of different sports people, and I just thought, you know what? I would. I wonder if I wonder if Daniela would come on my podcast. I reached out to you. You came back to me very quickly. We, I've messed around today terribly. I was such no, a busy listen, day. I'm so it's all, sorry. It's, it's all good. But you came back to me very quickly. We, you know, you kindly gave me a number. We engaged uh, over WhatsApp and stuff, and we got it sorted out, and we got it in place. And you know what? It's been, um, uh, it's been, it's been just, just amazing. You know, I, I, I'm getting messages from lots of different people who are keen to watch it. Just to finish with... Yeah, I saw. I'm getting a lot of messages as well. People saying they can't wait to see us that's to get like, to That's it. brilliant. That's brilliant. So happy but for you. I wanted to ask you one really powerful question to finish yes, with. What's Daniela's Westbrook's advice to a, to a seven or a nine-year-old? Your mum, we don't want to get that wrong because your mum... Nine. My mother will kill me. Nine years old. What's Daniela Westbrook's advice to a, a similar nine-year-old out there somewhere with big dreams and wants to go and become a star like yourself and, and play in big roles or whatever it may do be. It. What, but what would be your, do it's one thing, but what would be your advice in regards to managing yourself? Because things can obviously get out of control. My, my advice would be now is trust your inner voice. Know your private space and your bubble. Don't let anybody mold you into what they want to be. Don't lose your, don't lose your, driver your inhibition to work don't lose your spirit for anybody and don't lose your voice don't lose who you are don't lose your voice and tell your parents everything and if you and if you don't have the parents there whoever your elder peer is that you trust that you know is your safe place keep that close and tell them everything but always know and I don't care how young you are it's like a child when you show those times that it's hot it's hot. A child knows, oh, Bernie, that's hot. You know that instinct in you when something's wrong. Everybody will have that instinct in them that something feels wrong or is wrong. If it is and it feels it, nine out of ten times it's going to be. So don't trust people with big dreams and big ambitions that are going to feed you and give you everything because there's always a price to pay. So for me, it's if you want it enough, it will happen. And it will happen when it's meant to happen at the age it's meant to happen and, and everything else. But don't ever not follow your dreams and do it but just keep your own personal space safe guard your heart listen it's been uh you've gone above my expectations so uh, you you made me wait for 25 minutes you were 25 minutes late i was i was i live in wales man i'm in the middle of nowhere i had to get home i've just moved here i don't know where it was i, I forgive you wholeheartedly because so it's been it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you. I think Thank you're you so an amazing person. You've got a serious strength for what you've you know been through in your life and everything else. I think um, it's amazing. I know you're doing your therapy now and you want to help other people. I think that's amazing, fantastic. Um, if I can ever do anything to to help you or to thank you, I appreciate whatever that. Whatever it may be, um, I, I I'll be there for you. Um, to your children, you know, brilliant to see. That you know they're they're making their own way in their journey, and you know that I, I listened to your son um a little bit on a on a podcast the other day. Smart Thank lad, you. very smart lad, very very intellectual. It was interesting. A woman actually commented and said, "I thought he was just going to be a bit chavy and blah blah blah." But 
very smart kid and you know that's very powerful. very articulate boy very articulate you know use words that i would have to google and stuff like that so you know it's, uh, it, it i'm well educated my son not just on the street either just you know. because you know all of everything that the media has portrayed at times and everything else you've got a you've got a big heart you're a very very lovely person and um, obviously you and, and you know you're you're now wanting to give back as much as you can mm-hmm. and listen keep doing what you're doing i see you've been active you're running you're out there in the farms and spending some time with the animals i think it's I good my life help out of the of the big city life look after yourself um it's been, a, it's, been a, it's been an absolute pleasure i'll catch you for two seconds but it's been a pleasure <laughs>